It's Two Brain Radio. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf tactics to help you improve your fitness business and move you closer to wealth. And now, here's your host, the most interesting man in fitness, Chris Cooper. This episode is brought to you by BoxProgramming.com. One of the underlying things that we teach in the Two Brain Business University and in our mentoring program is how to value your time. And that is spending time on roles that will actually grow your business and get you closer to a perfect day instead of roles that just take up a lot of time. A lot of people are scared to do this math, to figure out what they're actually making in the hours that they're spending doing stuff like cleaning and sometimes programming. The old way of thinking is that your programming is your secret sauce, but we all know now that that's not why people come to your box. I've been writing programs for people for literally 20 years, and Jason Brown is better at it than I am. Jason Brown's BoxProgramming.com saves me about five hours a week of coming up with optimal programming for people. It's fun, people love it, and I can use that time to build my business, do more important things, or just sit in a lawn chair, frankly. For 200 bucks a month, it's one of the best investments you can make in your gym. Think about how much time you spend programming, divide those hours into 200, and you'll see how cheap the program actually is for the amount of value and care that Jason puts into this stuff. Go to boxprogramming.com to learn more. The first thing I ever wrote about the entrepreneurial mindset was called the ADD Advantage. This was 2011. It was on don'tbuyads.com. And what I was really talking about was the ability to juggle things. It was inspired by a couple of surgeons that I'd been talking to who had self-diagnosed ADD. And they thought that it actually helped them manage their huge stress and workload. But if you've been following me since then, you'll know that I'm always fascinated by the process, mechanics, chemistry, and emotion of learning. And also with the mechanics and emotion of coping with the entrepreneurial life. There are a lot of highs and lows that you need to buffer against. So I'm really into the tools that we can use to help us be better at it. How we can maintain our focus. How we can set our sights on one thing, become attached to that one goal, and not get attracted to shiny objects on the side of the road. How we can deal with stressors that threaten to derail us lawsuits, copycats, how we can meet people with confidence, and how we can get people to sign up without feeling like a salesman. We're going to talk about all of those things in this episode. And instead of having one guest who really you know, goes through the whole gamut, what I've done is reached out to people who I know work on themselves mentally and emotionally and asked them these big questions. This podcast was really triggered by a text I got late last night from Tommy Hackenbrook. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who Tommy is. He's won the games about, oh, every time he's been in them. He's also a huge proponent of the New You Challenge and just a kind of a fantastic guy. I have never seen Tommy rattled. I have sat with this guy at Starbucks as fan after fan after fan interrupted our conversation to have their picture taken with Tommy. Never rattled, always happy, always in a great mood. And last night he texted me something that made me laugh out loud. What he told me was that he allowed himself to be mad for 10 minutes per day. So realizing that even this calm guy had a coping mechanism is really what triggered this podcast. Luckily, I'm surrounded by fantastic people every day, and we're going to talk about that. And I reached out to a bunch of them, got them all on Skype today, and started recording. I started asking them big questions, and I came up with a lot of practical tips and tools that you're going to be able to take away from this and use immediately today. Hopefully, you can avoid stress, 
Uh, but that's not very likely. And so here's how you're going to deal with it. Here's how you're going to keep your eyes on the prize. Here's how you're not going to be derailed by having too many opportunities like I am. Here's how you're going to help people sign up for your service without feeling like a slimy salesperson. Here's how you're going to commit to spending more and some other things that you don't normally think of. So without further ado, here we go. The mindset of the entrepreneur. The first thing is focus. I've said it on this podcast before. When I talk to a gym owner for the first time, they don't suffer from a lack of ideas. Most of the time, they have too many ideas. I want to run this specialty program. I want to give my clients free yoga. Why should I be charging for that? I want to open a bigger location. I want to spend 100000 on equipment. I want to run online programming. The problem is that they don't have a step-by-step process or a hierarchy of prioritizing these ideas because it's their idea. So everyone must be good. Usually, they are good. There's no hierarchy. None are better than the other. But there are certain things that have to be put in place first. So while you're working through the process, going through our incubator program or seeing another mentor and doing kind of the boring stuff that will lay the foundation, here is how you avoid getting sidetracked by these massive opportunities that present themselves. I'm going to start by quoting one of my own mentors. I reached out to Dan Martell a couple weeks ago when I was being presented with these massive opportunities. When you're lucky enough to sit in the chair that I do, people present great opportunities all the time, and I'd like to do them all. Believe me, I sign more non-disclosure agreements than maybe anybody else that I know, and I'd like to sit on the board of some of these companies. I'd like to invest in other companies, but they're not my primary goal, and they'll take away from my primary goal. So when I was talking to Martel and I said, how do you turn aside all these offers? What he told me was anything that you add to your cognitive overhead, right, your brain space, takes away from your real goal. The only reason that people do it, they chase all these you know, objects on the side of the road, is because they don't trust in their ability to achieve at plan A. You're creating a mental plan B because you don't trust that your primary thing is going to be awesome. That's straight from Dan Martell. Basically, to summarize, a person chases the new t-shirt company venture because they don't trust that their gym is going to provide for them. They don't trust in their own ability to execute. If you believe 100% that your best ROI is going to be in your primary business, why would you ever invest time or money into anything else? Straight out of Dan Martell. So how do you deal with these amazing opportunities that come by? Or how do you stop somebody else from taking the opportunity? One tool that I've learned this year is to write down my goals for 2018. So if I'm presented with an idea for a new software company, awesome. Let me put that on my 2018 board. Now it doesn't occupy mental space and create cognitive dissonance or take away my attention from something else that I have planned for 2017. It's written down. I've got a whiteboard over my desk within eyesight of this recording right now that has 2018 ideas on it. By the time 2018 rolls around, some of these might be gone. Some of them might not be relevant or needed or even attractive anymore. That's okay. Writing them down keeps them in my eyesight, but gets them out of my brain. The next trick to keep your mind on your primary goal of getting your gym business on the right track or your other business on the right track is to have an emotional reason to succeed. So when we do annual goal setting with gym owners, 
we try to find the emotional reasons that they're going to succeed first. Before we set a profit goal, we set an education goal and a travel goal and a lifestyle goal and a family goal and a service goal. Then we say, how much income do you need to fulfill these goals, to get to Hawaii, to pay for your kid's education? Then working backward, extrapolating out even more from there, we can say, if the profit margin of your gym is 31% and you need $120,000 income to pay for all these emotional goals, then you know, your gym needs to create 360,000 in gross. And we start building their gym's plan from there. But it always starts with the client. Because if you don't have an emotional reason to reach that profit goal, you're just not going to get there. It's too tough after you're making a good income, call it 70,000 a year, to make yourself get out of bed at 4am to make another 500 bucks a year. But If you're doing it so that you can pay for your kids' dance lessons, if you're doing it so that your family can take that trip to Germany to meet your wife's relatives, you'll do it. You need that anchor. For more on this, here is Sherman Merrick's of Notable Guidance. All right, Sherman, I know you work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, What's some advice that you give them on how to set big goals and stay focused on them? I think I know that one of the biggest things you can do as far as setting yourself up for success, one of the main goals that I like to, to go with, sounds sort of a cliche, but I don't think that people really uh, take it serious enough, is that you surround yourself with good people, right? That's sort of a, you know, it seems so easy to say, yeah, I surround myself with good people, but I'm talking about people that are going to push you and challenge you and really help you get to where you want to go, um, you know, because there, there's always going to be tough days and there'll be good days too, but you need people around you, they're going to pick you up when times are bad, right? They're going to keep you in line even when times are good. They're not going to let you get too big or anything like that. Um, and I think that's one of the major keys to success. I know for a fact that's one of my uh, major keys that uh, basically keeps me on track. I surround myself with a few great people, Chris Cooper being one of them. Uh, <laughs> and that really just makes a world of difference on so good days and bad days. You know, you're able to have those people there, sort of that support system, because you can't do it on your own. Like this entrepreneurship thing is like it's too difficult to do on your own. I don't think anyone can be very successful if they're just, you know, out on a limb trying to figure it all out by themselves. Okay, man. So what you know, what's one goal that you look at that you have an emotional connection to uh, you have a clear vision of that keeps you on track? Well, that's an easy one. So the first one that pops in my head, um, my beautiful wife, Christina, right? I want her to be able to go anywhere, anytime, and basically do whatever she wants, right? I want her to be able to take her debit card and buy anything she wants. You know, if it's something, you know, if it's something small or if it's, you know, she decides she's going to buy a brand new car, you know? <laughs> and I like to preface that people be like, man, you know, that's a big goal, but I, that's something that keeps me motivated, you know? So one of the good things is I'm sort of the uh, high maintenance one in the relationship, believe it or not. You know, if you look at us, you may think she is. She's much prettier and uh, nicer looking than I am, but I'm actually a high maintenance one. But that's one of my goals for my wife to be able to just do whatever she wants, have a great time and not have to worry about finances. So how does that motivate you more than just saying, I want to make another $50,000 this year? Yeah. So like, I think that I have a, I have a few friends that make, you know, a ton of money, right? They make a ton of money. Uh, money's not an issue. But once we all know once you get past a certain point, you know, money's not a good motivator, right? Yeah. It's not going to bring you any more happiness. You know, I want to say that we talked about this a few times. 
that number's around 75 grand or so. Now, of course, you can continue to increase your lifestyle and get more bills and, you know, stuff keeps getting better. But I think that having something that sort of hits close to the heart, um, something that you can see and feel and really relate to day to day, like your wife, you know, seeing her happiness is going to bring me much more joy than saying, you know, I want to make a million dollars a year. Right. I mean, OK, I make a million dollars a year. All right. You know, but knowing that I can really provide for my wife, she's going to be super happy. You know, not that she's not happy now, but, you know, super happy, able to just do whatever she wants to bless people, however she sees without having to worry about a thing. Like, I think that goes much farther than just having, you know, sort of a monetary goal. Because if you're driven enough, you can pretty much achieve any monetary goal. You know, and there's plenty of wealthy people that are super, you know, sad and not happy. So what happens, man, when, when you hit that goal? You know, okay, Christina does go into the dealership like Ken's wife just did, bought a brand new Audi, like with her debit card. What what comes next? Do you just kind of rest on your laurels or are you trying to set a bigger goal? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, anyone that's, anyone that's entrepreneurial, obviously, you know, they're going to be driven. I think you make big goals and once you get to that one, you know, your priorities will be different. Your perfect day will look a little different and then you'll set a, then you'll set another big goal, you know, that's sort of my first one, you know, once I get there, you know, we'll come up with another perfect day and then we'll have another big hairy goal that we want to achieve. That'd be, and I think that it goes, it sort of depends on where you are in your career, you know, cause there's plenty of guys that may be 40, 50, 60 years old that have reached numerous lifetime goals in their life, but they continue to set those goals and then, Life just gets better and better, and it really has nothing to do with, you know, finances or stuff like that, you know, Mm. material stuff. Mm. Okay, man. Thanks very much. Awesome. Back to cognitive overload. Your brain is playing a zero-sum game. You can't just pour more and more stuff into it and expect to be effective at achieving those things. Too many ideas can actually paralyze you. And if you have these emotional reasons to succeed, you probably will. But the curveballs are still going to come. Things can happen out of the blue that distract you, that require a lot of your time and attention because they're stressful or they're unexpected or you react emotionally. A few months ago, I was faced with a potential court case. I didn't like it. I felt like I was in the right and I was very tempted to go to the mat to win. However, the prize for winning was mostly my own ego. And stoking my ego was not on my goals board for 2017, but I did have some huge goals for 2017 and the time that it would take to win this legal battle, the emotional energy it would suck up, the travel time and all the documentation would have been such a big distraction that it probably would have tripped me up toward reaching my real goals. And so I had to ask myself, do I have a good enough reason to fight for this little win or... Am I better off spending my time helping other gym owners? I chose the latter. And when I consciously made that choice, when all the lawyering was done, I could still sleep at night. It wasn't a big deal. It really helped that I had a big goal or else I just internalized the stress and we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are with Two Brain today, the biggest mentoring company in the world for gym owners. Now, I learned that lesson the hard way back in 2009. I had contracts in my gym and people were canceling, you know, just as people do. And I was torn. I didn't know whether I needed to uphold this contract with people who I considered friends. That's another discussion for another day. 
So I turned to my first business mentor. His name was Dennis. In a moment, you're going to listen to how Tommy Hackenbrock deals with stuff like this, and he's going to mention a book called Good to Great. Dennis was on one of the teams featured in Good to Great. So if you're a fan of Jim Collins and you've read Good to Great, you know what level of thinker I'm talking about here. So Dennis asked me a simple question. I was considering again, do I uphold these contracts on people? I'm having people sign these contracts. I feel like garbage when I'm asking them to sign and I'm not upholding them anyway. And what he said was, do you want to spend your life helping people or do you want to spend your life in court? That was an easy decision for me. And I haven't sold a contract since then, almost 10 years later. So I turned back to that lesson a few months ago, years after I learned it, when the stakes were much, much higher. And that lesson served me well. Now, Tommy is a humble guy, but he takes a lot of pride in delivering value to gym owners. And so when the stuff that he works on, the company that he works for, the stuff he creates gets copied verbatim, I know exactly how angry that must make him because it happens to me. Clients who are also part of other consulting groups send me screenshots of my own words being repeated verbatim as their own all the time. I try to take comfort in the fact that if I'm being copied, it means I'm in first place. And you tell yourself that and you believe in the logic, but down in your gut, it still sucks. You know, at some level, I still believe in myself that I am creating art. And when I put things out, I do it at 4 a.m. because I'm really passionate about helping you, the gym owner, the business owner, but I still kind of want the credit for it. So when I see my own stuff copied, man, I stress about it for a few minutes at least. I am getting better. And then last night when I got this text from Tommy, I found out that he was stressing about the exact same thing and he was showing me screenshots and you know, soon we were laughing about it, but he let it slip that he allows himself to be angry for five to 10 minutes every day and that's it. So I got him on the phone and I asked him a few questions. Here they are. Well, let's start with you as an athlete, Tommy. I mean, you competed and won the games as the owner of multiple affiliates. How did you ever get focused enough to train every day? I, I just had the good fortune of, you know, acquiring most of those tools through college football. And, um, you know, I had a, a very, I guess, extensive sports background to, to rely on. And uh, not, not just high-level sports, but also some amazing mentors, you know, as far as coaches I had at the University of Utah, um, you know, I think that's, that's number one. And um, as, as far as across the games goes, I started out with, you know, a nine-month-old, or, or I guess he was about six months, so, and then another one on the way shortly after, like the day I started CrossFit, and so that was always part of, you know, open my affiliate that first year as well. So it just, it really, um, it, it was all there in the first place. And so I had to, I guess I had to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I could go more into depth, but, but that's like, you know, I, if I hadn't had kids and I had done CrossFit and then had kids, I think it would have been a lot harder for me because I would have been used to, you know, having all this free time to, to focus on that stuff. So I, I kind of learned very quickly how to compartmentalize. And, and I do think I have that kind of crazy gene that uh, a, a lot of people do. I mean, you see, it, it's kind of weird, but a lot of guys who do well in the games or like, or well in CrossFit or like recovering addicts, or at least kind of have that personality. Um, 
you know, whether it's like an obsessive personality where, where they just have to get something. I think back to when I was a skateboarder, you know, when I was like 12 and 13, you know, I, I'd spend two, three hours outside after school just trying to land a kickflip. Like I'm sure a lot of people can relate, but just obsessing, obsessing, obsessing until I beat it. And, and so CrossFit's always been a good outlet for that. Video games are horrible. You know, I could sit on the couch for six hours and play video games. I don't. I don't even allow myself to have a console that, that I play. You know, for the last ten years. Wow. So I've, I have a unique ability to like hyper focus, and and so it just depends on how I channel that. So it's not a skill that you've learned. You just always kind of had it in there. Yeah, yeah. In a way, I think I've learned how to how to utilize it and how to channel it more so than uh, than just had it. You know, and, and I've oftentimes been envious of people who are able to just like sit down and play some video games and then walk away and, and not care. But like, I can't stop until I beat the game. So I, I wouldn't even say it's necessarily like a, a positive or a negative character trait. I, I think it's just about how you apply it. Okay. So how does that apply to business then? Because, you know, now this is different. You're not just moving physically, you know, like when you're training, you kind of have to shut the brain off and let the body go. But when you're, when you're running multiple businesses and you're trying to be the front man for the new you challenge, you know, and all this other mm-hmm. stuff is going on, how do you, how do you compartmentalize all that stuff? Um, I'm, I'm always working towards it. And I think probably the, the number one thing would just be discipline. And, um, you know, if I had to give any credit, it would be to my wife. You know, she's kept me on track more in the last two years and, ever before in my life, like, like not even close, you know? So honestly, I kind of just stumbled through business for, uh, six, about six years, five years of owning affiliates and, um, would do some great things and then kind of some not so great things. And, and, um, you know, based on like having won the games and having this reputation and everything and and all the, all the blessings that that kind of gave us, you know, all the, unique opportunities to get drop-ins just walking through your door like this is a place I want to be uh we had a serious leg up on the competition and you know did not capitalize on that you know I've learned working with Danny Brown and and working you know learning a lot of your methods and just gaining more insight like I was doing stuff incredibly wrong And, and I look back through my financials and basically like I don't I'm comfortable sharing this you know, my gym was essentially breaking even. The only money I ever made from it was paying myself 20 bucks a class to coach. You know, I look back, I'd show 60,000 in profit at the end of the year and I could attribute all 60,000 to prize money, uh, sponsorship, you know, pay, um, seminars, like all extracurricular stuff. I basically sat down and I was like, wow, I could not have the gym at all, you know, cut out eight, 10 hours out of my day and make just as much money. Like, what am I doing on in the gym? So I've, I've come full circle on that. But um, yeah, so, so back to the question, you know, discipline's huge. And, and when you reach out to me, you know, to kind of talk about this stuff, I really, lately I've, I've realized like, um, you know, some re- recent reading I've been doing, I, I kind of go back and forth between um, kind of that startup mode where you're just like fanatical, like, like literally like waking up at 5am, staying up till one. It's, you know, what I've been doing with the new year challenge, just very, very passionate about how can I help more gyms? How can we do more stuff? And when that wears off a little bit, um, I always try to take time to like reflect and, and read and kind of expand my knowledge, you know, so I don't, cause it's when, when you're in that frenzy, it's easy to just like kind of tunnel vision and it's a good thing. 
but you don't want to get so locked in that you, you know, you're not aware of, of your surroundings and whatnot. So, you know, thinking back to some, some great books that have influenced me and I've read lately, you know, it's funny. I like, I kind of find the same theme. So I, I can compare all four of them. There's like Mike McCallowitz, the, the pumpkin plan, a huge thing he touches on is, is, um, avoiding distractions, right? Like, like just not getting sidetracked on all these other opportunities. And, and that's something I did a lot early on. And over this last year, I've said no to so many things and I, I feel horrible every time I do, but it's, it's helped a lot. And, and it's, it's also helped the people I said no to because I probably would have just done a shitty job of whatever they're asking me to do. So avoiding distractions was huge. And that not only came up in that, but it came up in good to great, um, by Collins, a case study on some of the, the, you know, best businesses through the eighties and nineties. And, and so avoiding distractions was there. Where else did that come up? I mean, it, it comes up in a lot of things. So those are like the two main things. And then discipline, the other Mike McCallowitz book, the uh, profit first, in, in my opinion, like the discipline was the hugest takeaway, you know, sitting down twice a month and, and just, you know, having this disciplined routine again, as, as far as discipline goes, um, extreme ownership is a, is a great read uh, by the Navy SEALs, Leif Babin and uh, uh, Jocko Willick. And so I bought that for all my trainers this last Christmas. And, um, you know, the, the discipline exemplified in that book of, of what it takes them, you know, to provide great leadership and everything is huge. Again, in good to great, um, you know, discipline was the hugest thing. It wasn't this charismatic, you know, amazing leadership. It was a culture of discipline that, that made these companies, you know, great and lasting. And then lastly, even like I was thinking about the my favorite books I read for, for leisure, you know, for pleasure. And uh, I'm a huge fan of Stephen Pressfield. You know, he wrote oh, Gates yeah. of Fire about the Spartans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Pressfield's a huge one. And, and I read The War of Art that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And literally, that's like his blueprint to how he was successful. And it's 100% just about being disciplined. You know, that was the takeaway from that book. And so it, as much as it sucks, you know, and this comes down to like success in the games and, and everything else, as much as nobody wants to hear it, like there's, again, there's no magic pills. There's no shortcuts. It's literally just, you know, being be disciplined and avoiding distractions. You know, it's, it's one thing to say you got to stay focused, but I think avoiding distraction is a much better term for it. Okay. Yeah. Pressville had a very short book also called Turning Pro. That I, I read think, that. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, I think it predates War of Art, but same okay. kind of thing. Yeah, he's talking about just doing the same thing over and over is what eventually is going to lead to success. But mm-hmm. let's talk about when you've got like extraordinary stress. Uh, you guys get ripped off a lot now, like verbatim. Um, people, mm-hmm. people copy your video. It's like they record your script and say it out loud. Um, yeah. They take your ad copy from New You Challenge word for word. They build mm-hmm. the forms exactly. And, you know, you and I could could cut and paste the images of this today on Facebook. How do you deal with that stuff? Um, you know, James Ebner, the guy who started the company, he's um, he, he's you know been just a, a voice of reason, you know, amongst my because I'm like I, I I mean he's extremely passionate as well, but um, he has a background in internet marketing, and so he's seen this stuff, you know, people copying stuff over and over. I think he's, um, more like not used to it, but I'm or, or numb to it. Um, but, but just he, he expected it from the get go. Right. And so, 
you know, without giving away secrets of, of kind of what we do and, and how we do it. And, and again, like I'm not the marketing guy. It just, he, he brings me back down to earth, you know, and, and tells me like, dude, just don't worry about this stuff. You know, if, if we have to get lawyers and worry about it, we will, but just worry about what you can do. Like, you know, worry about being a better liaison between gyms, worry about, you know, providing better service to our gyms, to finding really good partners who are willing to, to work hard and, and share in the success. And James, you know, from day one, when he created this company, I, I remember him saying this to me, like before, before he even, you know, came by my gym. And, and again, you know, the history, I, I used the challenge as my gym for about six months before I was offered a, a position to be a rep. He was already trying to figure out how to make it so people couldn't copy They're like way before anyone did copy. And so it, every time I get, you know, a text sent to me, it's got a screenshot of an ad that looks just like ours. Like, like you said, almost verbatim, like, yeah. you know, my blood boils and I just have to tell myself, I'm like, okay, you know, you can be pissed for like five minutes and then you have to get over it and, and refocus because, um, you know, I've, I've gone down these rabbit holes and trying to figure out, you know, where are these guys running ads and, and how much is copied and, and this and that. And at the end of the day, it's just, you know, seconds of my life I can't get back it hasn't stopped them from doing anything and you know I did allow myself the luxury one time you know I broke down and I talked to a gym partner and they had worked with someone who copied us and they had worked with us and you know the people that had copied us they worked with them they signed up I think 12 people with a, a co-ed campaign they worked with us shortly after they actually wanted to work with us and we we turned them down for for reasons you know, they, we just couldn't work with them at that time. So we turned them down. They went to someone else. They signed up 12 people. They kept begging us, you know, and, and they, these guys are good people. And so we found an opportunity where we could do something with them. And they just signed up over 60 women in, in two weeks um, with just a women's only challenge. So um, I know what we do is superior to anything else out there because I see the results. So, you know, the, the more people that copy, you know, that's, I guess you just got to take that as flattery. What I try and do is, is just focus on what I can focus on. Cause I'm not the marketing guy. Like, you know, I get more panicked than James does because he is a marketing guy and he knows how good he is at what he does, you know, and, and he's constantly finding better ways to do this stuff. And, and he's, you know, he's done it five or six times. He's rebuilt the entire process. And, and from the outside, it still looks the same. Yeah. You know, there, there's very, intricate workings in in our company and what we do and the technology behind it that basically all i could say is that like he's relentless about improving and making it better and fine-tuning efficiency is is everything and so everything he's done in the last two years has been geared toward that and i mean what better example of you know avoiding distractions because shit i mean he could have hired a team of lawyers 12, 18 months ago and just, you know, spent half his waking hours dealing with lawsuits and, and maybe, you know, probably winning some of them, but that would not have gotten us to where we are today. So it, it's been a good testament to, you know, um, to that law of, of business that you, that you can, you know, you have to avoid distractions. I mean, if, if you have to get a lawyer involved, you do, I guess at some point, but that is like the last thing, you know, anyone should be focused on. Okay, man. I, I think that's great. So last question, you know, you, you've mentioned this, I allow myself to be pissed for five minutes thing. What do you say to yourself 
to get out of that when the five minutes is up? I just know I'm wasting my time. You know, I have, I, I, you know, I, I let myself fume and get mad if I have to vent to someone, you know, I'll, I'll vent, but I just say to myself, like, okay, what can you do to make the company better? Like, what can you do right now, you know, to, to be productive, whether that's, you know, something that has to do with my gyms, you know, what, whatever task I was working on before I got all pissed off, you know, I either, I either regroup on that or sometimes, you know, I might be enlightened in those five minutes and I might realize, you know, that, that I could be of better value of better service doing a different task, you know? And so I might jump onto, um, something different, but, but it basically comes down to that. What can you do right now, you know, to, to be better at your job, to, to, you know, fulfill your obligations to, you know, your, your company, your members, your gym, your clients, whatever that may be. Do you ever use it? Like, man, I'm so mad at this. I'm going to spend the next two hours working harder because of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a lesson, you know, you learn from sports and and from business. Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah, you just, you you take it and you spin it around and you use that adversity to, uh, to fuel something. Okay. That's great, Tommy. Thank you. Tommy and I had a great talk about it. And Tommy is a great mentor to me for how to handle stress and behavior and focus. I mean, the guy's won the CrossFit games. He's a successful entrepreneur. But I have other role models too. And so a couple of weeks ago, when it became obvious that somebody was selling my ideas as their own, I reached out to Mike Michalowicz, who's been a guest on this podcast. Mike was in the middle of his book launch. He's got a brand new edition of Profit First, and I'm a huge fan. So I almost didn't reach out to him because I knew he'd be super busy. But I got him at 5 a.m. And he responded right away. One ADD guy to another. And he gave me some tips. The tips were that I needed to elevate my thinking to another level, that I needed to create a credentialing process so that people could use my ideas under certain conditions. He said that it's my responsibility to create that framework because right now people aren't sure if it's okay to claim the intramural open as their own or the four nines model as their own or any of these other ideas that I talk about in my books. He's had the same problem with the Profit First ideas in his books. People would advise on Profit First without giving him any credit. So he created a credentialing program that would allow people to become Profit First professionals. And we have some partners in that space and it's awesome. But the point here is I would not have taken that step in leveling up and creating a credentialing program for TwoBrain without being prompted to do so by what I originally thought was a negative event. So often, these things that happen to us as stressors appear to be a calamity at the time, but later on wind up saving us from a bigger problem. In a couple of books, I've written that I spent $170,000 training coaches before I figured out how to filter coaches before I trained them. And I lay this all out in our advanced theory course. At the time, every time I would hire somebody and they didn't work out, I would lose sleep over it. You know, my stomach would hurt from stress. I was probably getting an ulcer. Why can't these people just do what I want them to do? And when I finally figured out that it was my fault, that made it even more stressful. But looking back now, I realized that spending $170,000 in 2010 trying to figure this out has saved me millions now and has saved me hundreds of nights of better sleep and way less stress and far less distraction. 
One thing that I'll recommend here is realizing the problems that you now face are really tiny compared to the reward that they're going to give you later on. I promise that's true. If you're going through something stressful right now, you're going to learn a lesson from that that will serve you over the next 30 years. A staff person breaks away and starts their own gym. That sucks. But what you learn from this experience will help you save a better staff person down the road. If you're going through something right now, these words might not comfort you. So what I want to do now is introduce Josh Price of Local CrossFit, who's going to tell you how to change your state of mind immediately and be able to handle problems and handle new situations more fluidly and with joy. Josh Price, Big Red Josh, tell us about what you've been studying and learning the last few months. So over the last few months, I've been learning a lot about mindset, changing your mindset. Uh, this kind of goes back to I had a lot of anger left over from, I guess, just the, the, the army, you know, maybe just some issues and everything from, uh, you know, my time in Iraq and everything. And I realized that it was really getting in the way of my business and everything and, and how I dealt with certain situations. And with Chris and Two Brain, I had done so much with with the mentoring and everything in the gym. Um, when he turned me on to Go Giver, I realized that I needed to work on this in my in myself. So I decided, well, if a mentor can help you in business, then a mentor can help you in in your personal life. So I sought out a mentor, and what we started working on was is looking at kind of three things, your state, uh, your story, and just kind of your overall perception. And um, your state is the one that's the kind of the most simplest to change, but it's the one you need to change the most. Your state is literally if you're sitting in a chair and you're feeling dejected um, or angry or anything, then stand up, get moving. If you're moving around and maybe you need to be contemplative, then sit down, you know, change that state so then you can start working through that uh, through that mindset and everything. So uh, that's really uh, one of the first things you do. So when I would feel angry, I would have, you know, say a facial expression. Everybody kind of knows your facial expressions when you get angry or when you're sad or anything. And I would just change that. I'd stand up. You know, and then I'd say, you know, what are the lies that I'm telling myself? What are the things that I'm telling myself at this time? And uh, I would just start moving past that. You know, a lot of times it was, you know, I have the right to be angry about this. I have the right to be mad because some client did something or other. And I really realized through this time that me having the right doesn't matter because it doesn't necessarily help me to understand where they're coming from, uh, how I might be able to change this situation, how I might be able to learn from it, and then replacing you know, those thoughts with something more powerful. You know, how can I help? How can, how can I learn to communicate more effectively with this person? You know, uh, the two questions that the mentor had me start asking was first, or kind of a statement is, I'm not my first thought, okay? I'm not my first thought. So the self, all right, is removed from that, all right? 
second thing is, is what don't I know about this situation or what don't I know about this person? All right. Because it can, it can be a situation, you know, traffic can take you off. What don't you know? It can be the person in front of you. It can be the email that you just received. So what don't I know? And just taking that second to change the state, stand up or sit down or move, <laughs> you know, anything like that. And then asking yourself those questions um, can really put you into a different mindset. And when we're talking about success, I think we're talking about a growth mindset in that you know now i'm thinking past myself my own emotions looking at it stoically and saying all right it's time to change let's look for success in this situation so do you find that help is more powerful than anger and is that what gets you past the anger you replace that with a more powerful emotion uh yeah yeah you do you uh, and the thing that you just said is kind of interesting too is um, is help more powerful than anger it is once you make it more powerful Explain okay that yeah yeah take control of that okay so for me anger was a very powerful emotion why because uh, when we kicked in a door when we did you know left on a, on any type of mission convoy whatever um, you know, that we may have been doing, you know, uh, I, I would say that I fueled a lot of that with, with a little bit of anger, like nothing was going to stand in my way and everything. So anger, um, became this powerful force in my life, even in the gym, as I lifted and I power lifted and everything else, I fueled that with, with, with anger and everything. You know, if I'm about to try to PR on a, on a back squat or everything, I'd psych myself up and get into this, this you know, almost rage, you know, which has its purpose and its place, but it started to creep in and everything to everything else I was doing. So when I needed to feel in control or powerful or anything like that, I would go to this place of anger. So you can see how I had gone over and over and over to to anger, building it up in my life. All right. But when I read The Go-Giver and everything, I realized, okay, there needs to be giving. Okay. So now what do you do? Are you give, all right, and now you meditate on that give, you know, you think about, you know, how did it feel when I gave, you know, and then you do it again, and then you practice that thought again, okay, how did it feel when I gave, how did it feel when I went outside of my, my normal, you know, emotions and everything, it did something, you know, maybe larger than myself, and you just continue to think about that and think about that. Um, and, and build that, that giving and then tying it to joy, tying it to, to happiness, tying it to, you know, positive emotions and creating this stronger and stronger place. And I think you start being able to lump in more and more memories, more and more um, objectives, you know, became through this, I've become a better father. And what I've done is I've tied in playing with my son. And the joy that that brings me and everything, you know, uh, become a better husband. How am I taking care of my wife? What am I doing for her? And I'm tying in those emotions. So let's say I need to change my state. I can think about that. I can think about, um, say I'm in the office, somebody comes in, they interrupt me. Okay, man, I love my time. So if that happens, it can really irritate me. But instead, if I can say, hey, just give me one second, and then I think 
about playing with my son or how my wife looked at me when I did the dishes, you know, and then I can bring up those positive emotions, go into that state and then look at that person and give them that same attention and that same time, the same giving that I'm ready to do anything I can for them at that time. And they see that they see it written on your face and it, and it builds a stronger relationship with that person as well. So give me some, give me a practical way that I can get into that state uh, when I am distracted or somebody dumps a problem on me that I wasn't expecting. Um, I think the first thing uh, that you have to do, let's say, uh, let's say one thing that it, maybe it shouldn't irritate me as a gym owner, but it does irritate me is if somebody doesn't schedule a no sweat intro and they just walk in the door. All right. That actually, that, no end because usually if I'm here, like every minute of my day is scheduled in some way or another. Yeah. So that really irritates me, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't. So when someone does that, um, what I do now is just tell them, you know, literally by the cabinet, Hey, wait, watch this slideshow just for a minute, you know, and then I'll just go back into the back room. All right. And then just stand in a power position. Okay. So I'll get up, you know, puff up my chest, spread my arms out uh, wide and just think about how, all right, I'm about to, you know, solve this person's problems. I'm about to listen to them and hear everything they're going to say. As you walk in there, um, you're ready um, to just, just take on the world, you know, at that time. And I can't tell you how many times before I would look at that person who just interrupted me with like steel daggers from my eyes. And how many people said to me, oh, can I, can I just come back? You know, and, uh, you know, that, that's just not the place that I wanted to be. So this state change and everything is so empowering. And as you practice it, you get, you get faster at it. You know, your kid messes up or something last night. Um, totally takes a, uh, almost an entire milk jug and poured it into this giant cartoon or uh, crayon thing that he has and then he comes out into the living room and he throws my key in it (laughs) tips it over so milk just spills everywhere and immediately I flared rage just flared it and before I said anything I was like nope you know I'm not my first thought what don't I know about this situation and what I didn't know was you know hey He's asking for your attention. He's obviously he wanted milk. Yeah. <laughs> all these together, but he's not asking me. So I just looked at him. I started laughing. I said, Hey, buddy, you know, this isn't okay. Let's clean it up together. And he's like, Yes, Doggo, let's clean up. So we go get towels. We clean it up, pour him some milk, pull him up into my lap. And then we start, you know, it, he just uh, on his pad or whatever. Yeah. In the past, Oh my gosh, I would have lost it. Then Kelly would have said something to me and I would have lost it at her and it would have just been this whole big mess. And instead, I'm laughing, Kelly's laughing, and Sully gets what he needs, you know. And same with that client. Instead of, you know, oh, I'll come back later. It's like, nope, we're going to do this right now. And I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, I've got them signed up for PT and we're ready to roll, you know, and <laughs> I've got a new friend. <laughs> oh man. 
I'm not my first thought. What don't I know? And practice that. Yeah, practice it. Practice um, it. Go into purposeful meditation, purposeful state. You know, you're sitting there, you know, feeling dejected. Anything, stand up. You know, uh, you know get out of it. You know, if you, you're, here's another example of kind of opposite. Um, you're kind of driving yourself crazy because you're busy and everything uh, else, but you know you've got to get some stuff done. Well, guess what? Change your state. Go into your office. Close your door. Sit down. Become reflective. Exactly the opposite, but a great way to focus and get stuff done. You know, again, it comes to that state. You know, what state are you in? What state do you need to be in? All right, man. That, that is fantastic. Thank you so much, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. Josh talked a lot here about practicing a mindset. And I think that's really important. Just the way that you practice your pull-ups, it's really important to practice mindset. This happened to me by accident. Because I screwed so many things up in the early days, it's really easy for me to look back and say, oh yeah, I can draw on that experience to help me right now. So the experiences that I thought were expensive back then, like the contract situation that I mentioned, really have saved me from 10x size problems today. So failure can actually help, but success is necessary for motivation, not the other way around. There's a reason in our incubator program that we give gym owners tasks that we know they can be successful at in the beginning. And a lot of the times it's because they come in feeling kind of defeated. Like I've tried this on my own and it didn't work out as if there's some shame in that, as if, you know, we should be able to just kind of figure out business on our own because nobody else has in history. But when they come in, it's probably because they've tried it on their own and it's not working out the way that they expected it to. So we want to give them some quick wins. And this is also true of your clients. Something I've learned in the last 12 months is that it's okay to onboard clients through a challenge. Now, a year and a half ago, and if you listen to my original Tommy Hackenbrook podcast from about a year ago, you can actually hear the skepticism in my voice. He's talking about his new you challenge and bringing these women in for a six-week CrossFit challenge. And I didn't like it because I thought, well, that's going to affect my retention numbers. These people are not going to stay around. This isn't the kind of client we want. But what I learned after running one of these challenges myself is that it doesn't matter what I think is true. It doesn't matter what other gym owners think is true. What matters is what the client wants. I knew, air quotes around new, that people who start with a challenge don't stick around long term. I thought they were predisposed against commitment. And like, maybe they're not ready for my service and they wouldn't fit in. And, but that's not what they thought. They're thinking I need a kickstart. They're thinking this looks fun. And it's what they think that matters, not what I think. So success is necessary for motivation. And if I can give people in a challenge some early success, that's what's addictive. You're all seeing it now in the intramural open. People are likely to level up their membership after the open if they get their first toast to bar, not if they don't. Can motivation occur after being discouraged? Sure. When you and I started CrossFit, we threw up the first day and that encouraged us to continue because that's the way that our mind works. We're early adopters. But the vast majority of clients coming in the door now are not early adopters. They're not risk takers. 
They don't feel the urge to sign up for something that makes them throw up. They don't have to plug that gap. What they will feel the urge to sign up for, though, is something that makes them feel like they're winning, something that makes them proud first and then happy second. If you can give them that experience in the beginning, you're going to hook them. So if you're setting that big goal for your business this year, first set a small goal that you're pretty confident that you can achieve. Sell one personal training package this month. Change your no sweat intro process on your website. Make your website not black and white. Hold a coach's meeting. Something really simple that we know you can do. Flipping the tables on success. When I set a revenue goal of a million dollars this year, I thought, well, the path to get there is kind of murky. But one of my business coaches flipped that goal on its head. And he said, if you're going to have to spend $300,000 to get to a million, the first commitment I want you to make is to spending the $300,000. See, what he was worried about is that I would get paralyzed when the time came to step up because I hadn't committed to spending the money or the time to get there. Time really isn't scary to me. I get up at 4 a.m. every day. I could work 20 hours straight if I have to. I'm a mule like that. But people say they're going to spend money after they make it. What this guy wanted me to do was commit to spending the money before I made the first dollar. Promise me, he said, that you're going to spend $300,000 this year. Commit to that number in your brain. And I did. And guess what happened? I started spending money. I started flying around the country to mastermind groups to learn instead of trying to sell more seminars where I could teach. I started investing more in mentorship. I started investing more in experiments in my gym that I could teach to the Two Brain family. For example, I want to learn how to do Facebook marketing better. So I'll commit to spending $5,000 this month and then turn around and teach those lessons to the Two Brain family. The next mindset hack is learning to teach. I learned this kind of ironically when I was studying for my CSCS. Back when I graduated from university around 1998, the only way that you could get a job in fitness was to teach. You became like an adjunct professor, then a professor, and then maybe you coached a couple of sports teams or something in the weight room. To do that, you had to have your CSCS. And so every university student did. No one who studied exercise science in 1998 opened a gym. That's the blessing of CrossFit. But when I was studying for this exam, what I learned was that I could retain information better if I would be turning around and teaching it right away. The information took on a lot more relevance for me. So the reason you can get a lot of knowledge out of certifications that you take from CrossFit is because you know you're going to be turning around and teaching it to your class the next day. But the reason that you don't retain a lot of knowledge from a business seminar is because you will not be turning it around and teaching it to anyone else. You'll be holding it in. And so it doesn't take on the urgency, the primacy in your brain. You think, I'm going to put this in the vault, come back to it later. And guess what? You lose the synaptic connection to that information. It's in your brain, but it's unreachable. You can't recall it. So what we do at our summit now is have you turn around and teach this information. You can bring your coaches. You can teach entrepreneurship to your coaches in front of us. You do role playing. So you have to practice being good at talking about your services. And what we do with a lot of two brain clients is encourage them to invite other business owners into their gym, host little meetings and teach them this stuff. Help first. That's part of my book. 
Invite the hairdressers in. Invite your financial advisor, your insurance agent, your mortgage broker into your gym and say, here's how I can help you. I can teach you Facebook advertising. Are you on LinkedIn? I can teach you help first. A lot of two brain family members have emailed me and said, can I have 10 copies of that book so that I can hand it out to all the people in my gym who own a business? Then they create kind of a business round table once a month. The reason that I want them doing this is to help their own business, of course. But when you learn something with the intent to turn around and teach it, you learn it a lot deeper. You think about it. You visualize yourself presenting this to somebody else and you fill in the gaps You make sure that you've learned it inside and out. You make sure that you can explain it in context and answer questions about it. So you create a stronger synaptic bond to the information in your brain and you recall it more readily. The lesson sticks. This is why we structure our summit the way we do and why we don't just travel around doing you know, seminars where I barf information on you for 16 hours straight anymore. They just don't work. Finally, rock bottom is a huge advantage. When we bring gyms into our program, sometimes I want to hear that we're their last resort, that they've tried everything else and it didn't work, that they can barely afford the service. Why do I want these gyms? Because I know they're going to do the work. When I bring somebody in and they're like, oh, you know, I'm trying this, I'm trying this, I don't know. I know they don't have an emotional reason to succeed and I don't get that impression on the first call. There's a good chance we're going to say, this is not for you. Our incubation stage is a lot of work. If you're working a 16-hour day and you have to do an hour of homework for our mentor, I need to know that you're going to be able to do it. We can give you the tools to help, and we do. We can give you homework help, and we do. We can assign you a peer accountability partner who can help you get through stuff, and we do that. But if you don't have an emotional reason to do the work, you won't, and you won't see the ROI that we promise in the incubator. And so that doesn't help anyone. This romantic notion of the hustle, the grind, the entrepreneurial mindset that guys like Gary Vee talk about, I mean, that's romantic. It's kind of cool to watch a video or two, but it ain't the truth. It's not something that's sustainable for the rest of your life. You're going to burn out. And if you're working, 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 but not making any progress after three years, you're going to think about taking a job somewhere else and maybe you should. But if you've hit rock bottom, and you have to feed your family, and this gym has to work because it's all you know and all you have, man, we want you at our table. One of the guys who is at our table has been for a long, long time and is a very close friend is Craig Heisel of Conviction Training Facility down in Hilton Head Island. Here's Craig. Okay, so Craig Heisel, you know, how should people define success in our industry? Well, I think if you're going to do that, it's so different for so many people. Some people for success in our industry, some people are like, you know, that's, that's one gym. Some people that's four gyms. Some people that's a website. Some people that's kind of like what you created, a gathering, a summit, you know, uh, an idea that expresses some kind of larger implementation or inclination. And the business that we're in is so broad and has so many facets. You can go down as many rabbit holes as you want. So, and then, when you're going to look at uh, being successful as an entrepreneur, you, you know, you also, what's the, is there a dollar amount there? Is there, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about Gary V. You know, if I was Gary V and Gary V is wildly successful, I, I, I wouldn't want to be Gary V. I want to be home every night with my family. Um, so for me, that's not, 
my version of success. So I think when you're looking at being successful in this business, you have to define your terms of what success is. If you and stop measuring yourself against everybody else, I'd be like, "Oh, I didn't go to the CrossFit Games. I'm a bad CrossFitter." You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay, man. So you know what? What are the steps if somebody's being introspective and and they want to determine what success looks like for them? Where should they start? Well, number one is to, it's determining that why, um, why, why you are going to do what you do. Um, and then number two, and that's, that takes a long time. Sometimes people want the, sometimes that takes years, Chris, you know, yeah. you know, when you started and what's it evolved to now, you, you know, being in the game for a while, it takes time. It, it, what you think you got in it for and what it becomes, those might be a few different things as you climb the ladder. But I think if you are authentic, if we were going to focus on something in the beginning as a leader, if you find your authenticity as a human being, you are a more effective leader. And what I mean by that is you're constantly doing what you think other people think you they want you to do. <laughs> you will become overwhelmed, uh, a people pleaser, or just <laughs> I see people burn out or get angry. So you can go in a couple different directions, but you're never going to be you. And if you're not doing you, you will never be as effective as you want to be. So for me, being a leader starts with knowing thyself and and how to express thyself across whatever your idea of success is and whoever you're leading. So it's it gets uh it can get fun. It certainly can get complicated, but it's it's a game and having you know to be honest, having solid friends and, and mentors uh, has helped me tremendously that are not in this business. I must express that your your mentor, if you're a leader, gripes go up. You're not if you're leading people, you can ask for input, but you are never, in my opinion, you're never venting. You're always the listener. You're never the venter. Not to the people you're leading. Um, you can be the corrector, and you can be the guider. But if you are expressing your worries just to because you need to talk to somebody, that's not what you do with your staff or your team, in my opinion, as a leader. Gripes go up. Can you give us Gripes an example go of that? up. I love it. Tell me a story about it. That line is from Saving Private Ryan. Remember, I didn't make that up. But what I used to do in the early days, I've owned um, our gym since 2010, is every idea that I had, I thought I should ask my staff their opinion on. Oh, boy. And so, right? And so... I became a very ineffective leader. What I thought I was doing was communicating. I wasn't. I was confusing. And in that, I created some very frustrated teammates, uh, some of whom I lost. And it was all my fault. As a leader, you should be not 100%, 1,000% accountable for everything you think, say, feel, or do. Okay. So when I learned to ask more open-ended questions than telling people what I'm thinking and listen Way more than I speak. So you're not asking them permission. What are you asking them for? So let's say, okay, so let's say we're starting a specialty group. I have an idea for a specialty group and I don't want to spring that on anybody yet because I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm just shopping it around. So I would ask a coach, hey, how's classes going? I would listen. One, because I could pick up a lot of knowledge there. Number two, I would, if I wanted to do like a powerlifting class. I would say, how are people's deadlifts looking? Do they seem interested in that? Are numbers going up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really – and then somebody might say, well, I really enjoy coaching the class. 
Awesome. I really enjoy coaching deadlifts. That's outstanding. Have you ever thought of developing uh, maybe a specialty group toward that? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, and this is, again, this is an ideal situation. They might yeah. say no, and you know, okay. That is, so you can go answers one way or the other without expressing your full intention. You're having a conversation instead of polluting their mind with more and more, oh, you know, in my opinion, Craig's just trying to do more stuff. We're always doing stuff. We never see anything through. You know, that that's very demoralizing. Is there ever a point where, you know, diplomacy isn't the best route where the staff needs to be told, do this right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you do that all the time, yep. you will you will lose them. So sometimes you need to, as a leader, put your foot down and show show your ass a little bit in the, in the best way possible, as long as it benefits the team. You're not doing it. It's always praise in public, right? Critique yeah. in private. Yeah. But every now and then in a group, let's say I've noticed that people aren't cleaning the bathrooms at the end of their shifts. And we all know that's a rule. So at the end of the group, at the end of a meeting, maybe we all take a trip to the bathroom. And I personally show them how to clean the toilet, right? I'm leading. And then we go from there with our checklist and say, hey, we have to get back to the fundamentals. Okay. So there's right and wrong ways very rarely anymore at my age and as long as I've been doing this. I don't – I'm not a raise my voice, stomp my feet kind of guy with my teammates. It's, that's relatively ineffective most of the time yeah. in my opinion. So. Okay, man. Well, you know, one thing that you told me long, long ago was sometimes the best favor you can do for people is to tell them exactly what you want them to do. Yes. What does that mean? So as a leader, if I have, if we have, and I always say we, so um, I work with my wife. If we have set up our mind that this is what we're going to do and we've reverse engineered our steps and how we're going to implement it, this is exactly what we need, and this is exactly what we're going to do, and this is exactly how are we going to do it. Do you guys have any questions? And this, and then, uh, and then it's about, and this is when we are going to implement it. Sometimes in these big decisions, you have to give your team time to digest, and that's a big thing. You, what you've been thinking about for two, three, six months, they've never heard. So if you say we're starting this tomorrow, they're like, what? You know, they can get a little sideways. But if you say again, if it's if if you teach people the way you – if you are a coach and you teach your athletes and you teach your team the same way you teach your athletes, you will be a successful leader. That's interesting. Is there some aspect of salesmanship to getting people to do what you want to do even if they work for you and they're not spending money? Uh, that's a great way to look at it. So you know in our industry, especially with our two-brain folks, sales is kind of that dirty work. Yeah. So – it's all about getting people on board going in the same direction. If you feel at some point you need to sell this, you're probably going to come at it. For me, for me, I come at it from the wrong angle when I think I need to sell. If I feel like, hey, this is how we want to share this, now all of a sudden I can present it in the right frame of mind. If I'm out here to convince people, I generally feel, and it's my team, the team that I've selected that goes through the big process that we go through that has a 90% washout rate. If I feel like I have to sell them, perhaps I haven't got all my ducks in a row yet. You know? I see. So if you feel like you're selling it to your team, uh, instead of you know having an obvious point where it's actually helping them and doesn't need to be sold, maybe it's not a great idea. Maybe you're not presenting it in the right way. How does this help? The team, how does this help our mission and ROI as a company? 
And if you hire the right people, they're on board. If you present it in the right way and you've hired the right people, you'll find a way to communicate it. You might miss a couple of times and need to re-explain it because you're not perfect. Mm. But if you keep calm <laughs> and you keep trying to exp explain it in a way that is more beneficial for what your purpose is as a company, most of the time, those people will don't get it. And if they don't get it, well, some people have to see before they understand. Sure. And some people might not understand. And eventually, some of those people might not be right for your business as you move forward. The thing that we say all the time in the two-brain business is the people that get you there might not be the people that get you to the next step. Right. And, and developing comfort with that as a leader is very, very hard because you develop emotional relationships with these people. In our line of work, I my father was a high-level manager, and he said, always keep a line between you and your employees. We're a smaller business. Our employees, we rely on very heavily, and we call ourselves a family. There's a difference there. So there's an emotional, but there's there's got to be that honesty. So if you can't have honest conversations with the people who are quote-unquote in your family, they're not really your family. So okay. you have to assess this as a leader because if not there, it's your fault. That culture is your fault. And I screwed that culture up when I was at the beginning, and our culture is much better now. We can have – we call them, this is bullshit talks. So we can call each other out in a nice way and move forward. Okay, man. I think that's super, super valuable, Craig. Thank you for taking the time to help educate these other people. Thanks for having Thanks. me on the show. I, I love it here. All right. <laughs> it's safe and warm. <laughs> right. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. All four guests gave different advice, but one thing they all agree on is finding people to surround yourself with who will push you up and support you on your journey instead of distracting you from your goals. You've heard this before. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Part of my role as a mentor is to place you with people who will support you and move you forward instead of people who will detract from your experience in business. When I'm looking for people to join the Two Brain family, I'm looking for common values, people who believe that the job, the gym, should serve them so that they can achieve their life goals instead of making the gym their only goal. I'm looking for people with a great sense of humor, and sometimes I'm looking for people who are at the bottom. We have millionaires in our group. We have people who are just hitting rock bottom. If you think that you fit in the Two Brain family, just go to twobrainbusiness.com forward slash help and click through the links to chat. One final thing that I've been saving for the end of this podcast is how to choose which things to focus on. More than one of today's guests brought up this myth that the hustle is the goal, that the hustle is all you need, that being busy is going to lead you to success, that an 18-hour day is necessary, desirable, and the goal. I don't think any of that is true. There's an article on our site called The Hustle is a Lie that explains why a lot of gym owners and small business owners aren't making progress because they're just busy being busy all the time. They're on Facebook when they should be working on dialing in their processes. They are mopping the floors when they should be working on checklists so that somebody else mops the floors. So how do you choose? How do you know which opportunities to pursue, which to turn down? How do you know which jobs you should be doing yourself in the box? And how do you know which jobs you should be passing on to somebody else? These are all covered in our incubator. Yes, you need clean bathrooms. No, you should not be doing that yourself. You have more important things to do. Your career now is entrepreneur. Your career is not coach plus cleaner plus dot, dot, dot. So back to the big opportunities here. How do you know which ones to do, and how do you know which ones to turn aside? If you're a brand new gym, 
say yes to everything. Any opportunity that comes your way to do a speaking gig, to go out with your members, do it in the first year or so, especially if you're unmarried, if you don't have kids. If you are married and you do have kids, then we'll draw those lines separately with you to help you you know, maintain the things that are most important, even more important than your business. But if you don't have those things, then you should be saying yes to every opportunity. Will you come into my workplace and talk about nutrition? Yes, I will. Will you come and talk to my hockey team? Yes, I will. Will you write an article for me on how to feed a baseball player? Yes, I will. Say yes to everything at first. Eventually, though, and we'll help you determine when this point is, you're going to have to start saying no to things. This is tough. Fear of missing out, FOMO is a real thing. And especially when we've built our business on working a 16-hour day and just doing everything, saying yes to every request, it's hard to start turning off the tap, separating yourself. A lot of our clients are at this point now where they finally got free time and a fantastic income and they don't know what to do with this time. They actually feel guilty for not working all the time or not being in their gym or not coaching every class. So what we talk about is the process of saying hell yes or no. A lot of opportunities are going to come your way. After you've got the foundation of your business and it's running itself, you can take advantage of these opportunities. If you say yes to every opportunity before you're ready, you're going to get paralyzed and capitalize on none of them or do a great job on none of them. But when that foundation is in place after our incubator, you can start pursuing some of these opportunities. You can start helping veterans in your community. You can start running events. You can maybe duplicate yourself. How do you choose which ones though? That's where the hell yes or no comes in. At this stage for me, there are a lot of things I want to do. And a lot of these things get put on my 2018 board as serious considerations. But what it comes down to is if a choice is not a hell yes for me, if I'm not excited to want to do it, if I wouldn't pay to do it, I don't do it because there are going to be other opportunities that will fill my schedule. I get invited to do a lot of speaking now. I would love to come to everybody's gym and run a seminar so that the owner doesn't have to pay and help everybody out. I can't do that anymore. It's not fair to the people who are paying me to be available to them when they need the help. So that's a no. I am invited to coach hockey teams locally now. I've learned a lot about coaching after doing it for 20 years, and I know that I could help. I really want to fix hockey coaches locally, but it's not a hell yes. I'm not excited to do it. I just feel like it's part of my duty. So that's a no. I was invited to buy a building a year ago. The building was a fantastic deal. Uh, city taxes would have been a hurdle, but I could have become a full-time landlord, made a lot of passive income maybe off this building with a uh, good investment, uh, but I wasn't excited to do it. So that's a no. If you've been in this game for more than three years, you should have all the time in the world available to you. If you don't, you need to go through our incubation process and clean up that time, clean up your life, stabilize your profit margins and get some free time. If you are at that stage and you don't know how to fill that time, it's time to start looking for the hell yeses. Because life is amazing. And the entrepreneurial life is more amazing than almost any other life on the planet. It's time to start living that life. And it starts in the mind.